We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This hour is being brought to you by CarX Tire and Auto online at carx.com. Ray, let's talk with Steve Stone. Color analyst for the White Sox, Steve Stone, joins Lawrence Holmes. When I started out, and Harry was my partner, he said to me, you will find your identity. It turned out that I felt that my identity was going to be to teach as many people as I could the game of baseball. Steve Stone is a Cy Young Award winner, and he is a score baseball expert. Being an analytics guy, I would have known that a sub-six-foot-tall right-handed starting pitcher in the major leagues, the odds were infinitesimal. But if there was a contest that had a winner, I could never understand why it shouldn't be me. Social media guy. A lot of people love you, especially the people you haven't blocked. I've been blocking more than Tom Brady's line. (laughs) Steve Stone talks with Lawrence Holmes right now on The Score. And Stoney joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. White Sox have the day off before they start a trip down to Houston tomorrow. I am looking forward to that, and I imagine that Steve Stone is too, considering that they swept Detroit and are on a three-game win streak. Hey, Stoney. Hello, Lawrence. We're actually in Houston already, uh, the city, as you know, of great humidity. And uh, normally it's very warm. Today is one of those days where it's still very warm. And uh, fortunately, the humidity's up, and it's great for the skin. Yeah, that's been the case in Chicago as well. We had, like, heat indices <laughs> in the 110s along with that humidity. So, yes, it has been uh, quite the, the last few days. But it's good. The, the White Sox bats have matched the heat in both Chicago, Detroit, and Houston. So what do you think we looked at when we looked at the White Sox offense against Detroit? Were we just looking at a team that's really fallen on hard times and the White Sox took advantage of it, or is there something more there? Well, look, it's one thing to to play a team who is not doing very well and another thing to take advantage, and those are the teams that you have to crush. And the Sox historically have done a very good job against uh the Tigers, especially of recent vintage, you have some guys who have completely dominated this Detroit team. One of them uh, is Dylan Cease. He's 10-0 and lifetime against the Tigers. So even though he struggled a bit early in his last outing, uh, he did win the ball game. And you have Jose Abreu who just finds a way to kill the Tigers, and he continued to do that. Uh, we also saw um, some life out of Yuan Moncada, which was a wonderful sign because you know, we've talked in the beginning, and Yuan has struggled mightily. That's not a secret, but he's one of the keys to this team because of his left-handed bat. Uh, he swung it okay from the right side, but left-handed he really struggled, and the Sox do need 
as many left-handed contributors as they can get because it's a predominantly right-handed lineup, uh, which falls prey to many right-hand pitchers with very good sliders. Uh, a lot of teams do, but the Sox can't start you know, five and six meaningful left-hand hitters to negate some of the prowess of those, of those real good sliders and curveball pitchers, uh, of which the predominance uh, is right-handed starters in not only the Sox division, but in the league. Moncada's been struggling with velocity. Yesterday, five hits, five RBIs, got a home run. It was great to see. But Velo has been his enemy. When a batter's struggling to catch up to fastballs, as a pitcher, what does that tell you? Well, there's a couple of different things. Number one, uh, if you're an older player and you have trouble catching up to fastballs, it's probably a tip-off that, your bat speed is sinking because every one of these guys who has a major league uniform has hit fastballs everywhere they've ever been. If you can't hit a fastball, well, then you're going to work as a server in a restaurant or you're going to sell insurance. You're going to do a lot of different things. But all major league hitters can hit fastballs. And so there comes a time when if you're late on the fastball, you take a look at the video, your hitting instructor will make a suggestion or two. You might do a couple of different things. You can raise your hands up. You can lower your hands some. You can uh, get off the plate a bit more. Uh, you can do a number of things. But the one thing that I noticed, and it seems to be uh, kind of endemic to baseball of recent vintage, I see guys standing in the batter's box in the identically same position, whether he's facing a 100-mile-an-hour fastball or he's facing a guy with a great slider or he's facing a soft-tossing left-hander or he's facing a guy with a terrific changeup, he is in the same spot in the batter's box. He's not up. He's not back. He's not closer. He's not farther. He's in the same spot. And you have to assume that he wants to catch every pitch in the same spot or he would change. My feeling is it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what business you're in. But when you're finding something that doesn't work, you got to change what you're doing. And I don't see a lot of guys willing to do that. They used to do it more uh, a couple generations ago in the game than they're doing now. And there are still some hitters who will make some adjustments. But not a lot of hitters will do that. And consequently, the slumps get a little deeper. The batting averages sink a bit more. And, you know, it's the great guys that keep high batting averages consistently. And so uh, I think that's something that more hitters should entertain. Uh, I don't want to give away anything for my pitching brethren who might uh, might really enjoy <laughs> hitters in the same spot consistently over and over. But that's really the case. You need to adapt. You need to adjust. This is a game of constant adjustment, and hitters have to do that. Because right now I think, what, league average is in the neighborhood of 237, 238, 236, something along that line, it's at historic lows, and it's because pitchers are getting much better, but hitters are very slow to react. How did you feel when you call a game where you see not one, not two, but three position players pitch in it? Well, there's a couple of different things that come to mind. Number one, um, 
I think it's comic relief to a certain extent. You're getting your brains beat out, and then all of a sudden you see your shortstop or your catcher or something along those lines going out there. I think um, one of the ways, and A.J. Hinch addressed it when he said, you know, look, we, we've got we've got no off days coming up. We've got a tired bullpen. I wanted to make sure that I didn't deplete that pen any further, but I also wanted to make sure that our guys were throwing – 50-some miles an hour. And the reason is you don't want to see a position player trying to get it up to 85 to 90 miles an hour for a couple of different reasons. Number one, they're not usually that close to the hitter. Uh, So when something comes off the bat 100-plus miles an hour, a defender is almost without exception at least 90 feet away, sometimes a little closer if he's playing for the bunt on the corners. But more times than not, they have a chance to react. I don't think people, I don't think position players, and certainly the normal person watching a game, he can't conceive of how fast that ball comes back to you and how difficult it is to defend yourself, especially in what has become a max effort era. You have guys thrown as hard as they can. They fall off drastically to the glove-hand side, which means if you're a right-hand pitcher, you're falling off to first base, left-hander to third base. You can't defend yourself. Because the glove is not in a position to get it up fast enough that the ball is at your head. So, obviously, you don't want anybody hurt. A.J. Hinch said keep it at 50 miles an hour. So, my feeling is this. Number one, when I hear the suggestion you can only have 13 pitchers on a team, my first reaction is, why? If you want to tie your manager's hands with less moves off the bench, but strategically go to more pitchers, why don't you allow them to have 16? Who cares? As long as you're having this three-hitter minimum with pitchers where you can't go lefty-righty, lefty-righty, lefty-righty ad nauseum, um, have as many pitchers as you want to. You want to tie your manager's hands with moves where he can't pinch hit or pinch run late or whatever the case may be, that's fine. That's part of the strategy of the game. That's part of where you're going to be if you have a tired bullpen. But I think that's a strategic decision all teams should be able to make. That's one of the reasons why I am not in favor of any rule that changes the strategy of the game. Strategy of the game is part of the beauty of baseball, and that allows fans to sit and manage along with the managers, perhaps along with the general managers. That's what the beauty of baseball really is. Everybody believes they can do it. But when you want to change things to take strategy away, to me, that runs contrary to what I believe is the beauty of baseball. Were people on Twitter asking you about a slaughter rule? Well, they were. And and as far as the slaughter rule is concerned, there's a couple of different things that come to mind. Number one, if you want to have, let's say, after seven innings, you want to have a 10-run rule, 12-run rule, whatever the number is, um, a couple of different things. If you want to have that, that's fine. Uh, if you had multiple pitchers in your bullpen, then you could do that. You could have a couple extra pitchers, and you wouldn't have to throw position players because – you know, Jose Canseco tried to throw knuckleballs when he pitched one day for Texas, and his elbow blew out. You don't want your star players blowing out, getting hurt, doing something they're not used to doing. That's number one. Number two, if you do have a slaughter rule and you end the game after seven innings, you come afoul of a couple of different things. One is you might have a fan who comes to two or three games a year. This is one of the games he's coming to. You're ending the game early. So my feeling is if you want to give – if you want to give your pitchers a break and end the game after seven innings, reward the fans. Give the fans either a free ticket to a coming-up game or give them a hot dog, maybe a, uh, 
uh, a libation or so. In other words, give the fans something that takes the sting away from you cutting your game short. That's one of the things you can do because I'm always concerned about the fans and how baseball will grow, which is one of the reasons why I was not particularly happy to see baseball uh, contract by 20% for their minor leagues. I know it's a savings of money, but I also know in some of these small towns around our great country, minor league baseball is all they have during the summertime. Yep. And you take that away, number one, you're not growing the game. Number two, if I have, and let's, let's just use, I don't know, let, let's use, well, the White Sox. So you can take any team. They have a minor league team in a small city in the Midwest or, or the Northwest or anywhere else you care to mention. And you're going to make baseball fans. And the people of that city are going to gravitate to the players they see, but more to the organizations that they've come to get familiar with. Consequently, you're going to make baseball fans not only of the adults, but of the kids growing up. They're going to be fans. Or they might gravitate to a a guy coming in, a star coming in from another organization, and they might become a Cardinal fan. I don't really care if they're a fan of baseball, and that's how you grow the game. That's how you keep the interest in baseball nationally. And so for me, when I saw a 20% reduction in minor league cities, it meant to me there were 20% of the people in this country who don't get a chance to see what I think is the greatest game we have going. You don't get a chance to make fans that will be lifetime fans for a game that you want to grow. And to me, the object is to grow the game, not contract the game. Increase the interest, not reduce the interest, and do everything else that allows fans all over the country to be introduced and reintroduced to a beautiful game that is leisurely, it's a summertime activity, the family can do it because it's still a family game, and anything that flies in the face of that to me is detrimental to this game. Yeah, I know a couple of friends that are White Sox fans because they went to games in Birmingham. You know, like yes, like they I mean, grew up yeah, as Birmingham sure. Barons fans and like Birmingham and White Sox baseball and Birmingham and baseball has a really rich tradition. So seeing their love for this organization from that to me, I, it's always stuck in my mind as being something that's really important. Well, a, a great and very short story and I'll make it shorter. I uh, one of the pitchers didn't didn't bring his uniform with him and I had pitched the night before. So they put me in the stands to chart the game and I sat next to two folks who were great Dodger fans and this was in Bakersfield. It was a Dodger Class A California League team. And we got to talking during the game and they wound up inviting me over their house and I had never heard the word I was 21 years old, had never heard the word taco before. We didn't have many of those in Cleveland at the time. They served me tacos. I loved them. That was terrific. But they also introduced me to something else, Lawrence. They introduced me to a book that was written about Sandy Koufax. And at the time, the first half of my first year, I was 3-10 and 10 with a 6-point ERA, striking out 12 guys a game. Everybody I wasn't striking out was doubling up the gap. And in that book, Sandy Koufax said, the best pitch in baseball is not the fastball, the curveball, the slider, the change. The best pitch in baseball is strike one. It sets up a defensive at bat, and if you concentrate and throw strike one, you will dominate hitters. And he gave his his average at, at a one-strike count and then a one-and-two count. Hitters hit like 119 off him. Now he was an all-time great. But a normal pitcher like myself looked at that and said, wow, I can – 
use this as a guideline for the second half of the year. I wound up instead of a 6-point ERA with a 3-6. I won nine of my next 10 games. It catapulted me to double-A and later the major leagues after only two years in the minors. But without that game in Bakersfield, without the pitcher leaving his uniform home, and without meeting those people, I might not have read that book, and maybe my first year, and maybe my career had just changed. And so that's a microcosm of what happens when you have a minor league team in a city that uh, uh, people can gravitate to. Steve Stone joining me here to talk a little bit of baseball for a few minutes. Lucas Giolito, in, in his last couple of starts, it's been interesting to see. It seems like to me, uh, you're the expert, so I want to get your viewpoint on this, that batters are going up there looking for his changeup, and they're not afraid of his fastball. That's that's dipped a couple mile per hours in, in velocity. Are you seeing that? And if that is the case, what can Lucas do to counterbalance it? Well, there are some smarter teams, and I remember an opening game that Lucas had against um, uh, Boston. I don't believe it was this year. When they went up, literally gave up the fastball and just pounded the straight change. It's It's common knowledge that Lucas throws a lot of those, but Look, that is just one weapon in your arsenal. Uh, one of the reasons why things have gotten a little tougher for him is that uh, he ditched the curveball because he couldn't command it. That would be something I would be working on all the time, and you work on it in the bullpen under the uh, the tutelage of Ethan Katz and maybe get back to that pitch on occasion. He is throwing some pretty good sliders, but you're right, and that's exactly what's happening to him. You have some teams going up and saying, you know what, especially left-hand hitters, because Lucas throws a whole lot of straight changes to left-handers. You know what? I'm going to give up the fastball. If he throws me three fastballs, I'm going to sit down. But somewhere, somewhere in this at-bat, I'm going to see a hittable straight change. And when I do, I'm going to hit it hard. And that's basically what's happening. I don't think it's it's a lack of stuff from Lucas, but it's something that I'm sure he's noticed, because I do believe that Lucas is a cerebral pitcher. And when that happens, you do a couple of different things. You change, uh, you change your rotation of pitches, uh, the sequencing, which is what, you know, it's a fancy name for the, hey, change speeds, do something else, you know. Uh, everything has a name these days. And understand something, Lawrence, we have a very much of a back-to-the-future approach to baseball. What's new now was old before. This high cutter and high high slider that everybody's using, I learned in 1972, it wasn't new then. It's not new now, but people are bringing it back again. One of the things that Lucas might want to do, because his fastball at 93, you know, doesn't have the great life on it. And as you get a little more tired in the course of a year, especially with an accelerated spring training, which, by the way, I believe that everybody in baseball is paying the price for wanting mm-hmm. to stuff in 162 games this year with a shortened spring training. You're getting many more hamstring injuries, many more groin injuries, many more arm injuries of various things. We're seeing bullpens decimated. We're seeing aces of starting rotations go by the boards. And we're seeing them, in my estimation, as a direct result of an accelerated spring training. But that being said, maybe guys are not throwing as hard, so maybe Lucas decides, you know what, I think I might try to come up with a cutter. It's not my slider. It doesn't have depth. 
It's not my fastball because it has some movement. Maybe that's a pitch I can add to my repertoire to keep guys off my straight change. But because this is a game of adjustment and because you have to continue to battle hitters who are certainly trying to adjust to you on a game-to-game basis, that's a couple of things you have to try. Try something new. If it's not working, you try something new. And if you do that, and if you keep evolving, eventually he's going to go back and be able to lean more heavily on a straight change because people will start looking for the cutter or the slider or the curveball or whatever it is he's going to evolve into. One more thing, Stoney, before I let you go. The Cubs baseball is sure. coming up on the score in a little bit, and the Cubs are down mm-hmm. bad. Like they, They've lost nine in a row. What are When it comes to losing streaks – how do you deal with them as a player? Well, what should be the approach of every player as as they're in this spiral of losing? Well, look, if if if, if they made me in charge of anything for one day, uh, and of course they haven't and they won't, but what I would do is go, and it's not only the Cubs. It's you know they're not the only team that's that's losing or on a losing streak. There's a lot of them. I mean, Washington's lost four in a row. They're sitting there at 23 and 42. But I think somebody, as an authority figure, has to go down and say to each and every player, "What happened yesterday is gone. We don't have what's happening tomorrow. So let's look at this. Forget the nine-game losing streak. That's irrelevant. I want you to start by winning the first inning." You win the first inning, then you win the second inning. Every time you come to bat, it's a new world. Nothing that happened before is going to matter. Nothing that's going to happen later in the game do you have right now. So I want you to go up there, and I want you to isolate on each and every pitch. Concentrate each and every play. I want you to make the next occurrence of whatever it is, whether it's a ball being hit to you, whether it's a pitch coming to you, I want you to make that your whole world. We don't have to win the game. The game itself, winning a game is not that easy to do. But breaking a difficult task down to its simplest parts, which as a pitcher is one pitch at a time, as a hitter, it's the next pitch that's coming to you. You break a difficult goal down to its simplest parts, and then you take care of that. So if you're the Cubs or any other team who's on a losing streak, don't try to win the ball game. Don't try to end the streak. Don't try to win five games in a row. Try to win a given confrontation. You try to win that confrontation with the pitcher right now. If you win that and the guy behind you does the same thing and the guy behind him does the same thing, eventually you're going to come out of this. And I learned that wandering off with my mental uh, acuity in Yankee Stadium trying to beat a team I had never beaten before, the New York Yankees, in a ballpark that was 296 down the left field, the right field line, and it had seven pull-hitting left-hand hitters, and I thought, wow, I'm a soft-tossing right-hander with a curveball, and this is the easiest park in the world for a left-hand hitter to hit the ball out. And it was overwhelming, and I thought, wait a second, I don't have to win this game. But what I have to do, I have to make a good pitch to Willie Randolph on the first pitch. Could I do that? Yeah, because I'd thrown millions of them. I could make a good pitch to Willie Randolph. And then after making the first pitch, I said, can I make a good second pitch to Willie Randolph? And, of course, the answer was yes. And eventually you keep making a great pitch to whoever it is you're facing, and you look back after nine innings and you think, you know what, I strung together a pretty good game. But it's breaking the hole down to its simplest parts, and each and every player, if they're pulling in the same direction with the understanding of this is what we're trying to do, then eventually you're going to break out of this, and you're going to start winning some games. And I don't say the Cubs are going to be world beaters this year because they 
They obviously are out-talented by a lot of teams, but the point is they can play better than they're playing, but each and every player has to think the same way, and getting them to think that way is the job of the people in authority, whether it's the mental guy, whether it's the hitting coach, the pitching coach, the front office, or their manager, in this case, David Ross. You've got to get everybody thinking along the same way. Stoney, as always, great, great stuff. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you next week. Lawrence, have a good show, and we'll see you down the road, and hopefully the Sox will continue their winning ways. Yes, go beat the Houstons, please. We, we could <laughs> definitely need that. That is Steve Stone, and I'm, I really love what he said. Ray, let's put the, at least the beginning of that chunk about the losing streak on social because I thought that was really, really good stuff from Stoney, and hopefully the, the Cubs will bust up this losing streak that they're on. We'll talk about them after a timeout next here on The Score. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. We've got the Cubs coming up in about 13 minutes, and Jed Hoyer, president of baseball operations for the Cubs, spoke a little while ago. The whole thing is 33 minutes long. I'm looking forward to sifting through that later on today but obviously we don't have that type of time there is some stuff that that ray was like we got to play this for the cubs fans that are getting ready to watch them take on the padres getting ready to listen to them take on the padres this was jed a little while ago talking about the approach that david ross has taken with this team and this team being on a nine game losing streak but through the tough times here Rossi's been taking a lot of heat on social media and from fans and stuff. Um, where do you stand with him at this point? Oh, he's great. I mean, I don't, I don't know what, what's what been written about that. I mean, I, I think he's done a great job. Um, he's the same person every day. You know, I think every conversation we have is about how to, how to, how to make guys better. Um, you know, so I don't I don't see any, any issues with him whatsoever. Um, you know, it's difficult. I, we've had, um, you know, so some of the matchup stuff we planned out or some of the you know, platoons or some of the things things that we had hoped for you haven't materialized so there's probably times he's not getting the matchups he would want or, or things haven't lined up the way we probably planned and so um, you know been playing with a short bench a lot of times you know because of injuries or you know um, our pen's been tired and so he's had to stay away from guys so I just think those are the things that um, understandably um, you know, fan, fans don't always know like who's down who's injured who's available who's not and so um I know those things, and so I know um, you know the various constraints he's had to work under uh, because of our injuries and things like that. And um, I think all things considered, I think he's done a he's done a great job. I mean, you know, he's frustrated. I'm frustrated. We sit there at night and you know, talk through it, but all the conversations are really productive. You mentioned long process. If anything, you know, the fans that believed in a shorter, you know, that I, 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 right. I, I, I mean, I, I, that that'd be the one thing you you may have lost from fans during this stretch is like anyone that thought this might be quick now might think, well, it's going to be another long process, which makes sense. It's only natural they might think that. Um, what what would you be? What would your response be to that? Like feeling like, wow, this is going to take a long time. Yeah, I don't know that. You know, I don't know that at all. Um, you know, I think trying to trying to pretend that that this current you know nine game period is, is has has somehow changed that or altered that I think would be the, the wrong thing I, I don't I don't know I just I know you know you know I know what what, what I have a, a vision to build um, 
and know what we built last time. And, um, you know, I have all the confidence in the world that we're going to get there, but I also uh, am aware that sometimes things speed up and sometimes sometimes things slow down, and I, I'm not you know, smart enough to know what, which of those are going to happen. But I do know, and I have the ultimate confidence, I, I know we're going to be successful, just like I, I knew that same thing last time. And it doesn't make the day-to-day any easier. It doesn't. But, you know, like I said, I, like, I have all the confidence, all the confidence in the world about you know the, the quality of the team that we'll build. When you have that vision and you're going through a season like this, what is the most challenging aspect from your seat? There's no um, like you know, there's no one that that sort of does this for a living that isn't hyper competitive. You know, you can't not be competitive. Um, if you, you, know, you work in sports, you're around a team, you know, for, you know, your whole adult life, basically. And so, um, there's no way to, to not, um, on a day-to-day basis, like, you know, sort of live and die with how, the, how things are going. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't, it doesn't mean you don't have a long-term vision. It doesn't mean that you can't see, you know, things, you know, how things are going to come together to be successful. You, of course you can. But like when you're in that moment, that that is the ultimate challenge. Here's some of the numbers during this streak. Cubs ERA during the streak, 8.29. They're 0-29 after trailing after seven so far this season. Inside this losing streak, they're being outscored 84 to 26. They're 11 and 23 at Wrigley. And the starters ERA for the season is around five. That's scary stuff. This segment is being brought to you by Amco Transmissions and Total Car Care. Amco Transmissions, your total car care expert, offers up to 12 months, no interest, no financing, and easy payment plans, even if your credit is not perfect. And Amco's free computer and powertrain check will pinpoint the problem accurately. Call 1-800-GO-AMCO. I am looking forward to uh, listening to and reacting to all 33 minutes of Jed Hoyer and then tomorrow having really kind of digging into it and taking some phone calls from Cubs fans because I can imagine that the the level of frustration is really high and I completely understand where you're coming from but I want to hear what Jed has to say and we'll present it to you and we'll talk about it on tomorrow's show thanks to Ray Diaz for all of his hard work thanks to Steve Stone for some great content today I'll be back tomorrow at noon have a great rest of your day Cubs baseball is next on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.